Hello and welcome to Head Mounted Destinations, a podcast about VR and VR game development. We provide our perspective as developers and give you, the listener, a sneak peek behind the curtain as to how VR games are made. I'm your friendly neighborhood host and level designer, Carlos, and with me, as always... Hello, I'm Matt. I'm a gameplay programmer. And surprise, audience, we have a really cool interview lined up today. We are joined by two special guests from Cloudhead Games, Anthony Stevens and Daniel Taylor. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves? Uh, hello, I'm Anthony Stevens. Uh, I am a writer and designer at Cloudhead Games, and I've worked on Pistolet. Hi, I'm uh, Daniel Taylor. I'm the lead level designer at Cloudhead Games, and I also work on Pistol Whip. That's right, folks. It's finally happening. We have Pistol Whip devs with us, and we're going to get all the sweet information you've been chomping at the bit for. Can you both give a, a short explanation of your journey through the industry and how you ended up at Cloudhead Games? I'll start with you, Anthony. I went to university for creative writing. Uh, I did some journalism on the side. I, I kind of started in the games industry. I started my own website, started doing reviews, got some writers, doing that kind of thing. Uh, and I went to university for that. And uh, in university, then I took a game theory course to just study game design a little bit. And I met my professor who directed me to uh, the writer at the time at Cloudhead who was looking for someone to do social media and blogs and stuff like that. So I graduated university and immediately went to work for Cloudhead. And yeah, so I was writing blogs and doing social media and things like that. And then I was just working really closely with the dev team and, and learning a lot about design and, and VR. And I started doing a bunch of QA work. Uh, and then eventually that kind of turned into full-fledged design work. Uh, and I and I did some writing and, and design for Aperture Hand Lab. Uh, and, then, uh, and then I became a full-time designer with Pistol Whip. Sweet. How about you, Dan? What's your journey to Cloudhead? Yeah, well, uh, I, like Anthony, I started at uh, uh, actually the same university, Vancouver Island University. I was in the digital media program. And one of the days we had a, uh, a guy come in to give a talk, and he made video games. He, he was uh, making advert games for like Disney and, and a bunch of other big uh, evil corporations. So I was like, oh, that's cool. Uh, so I went and talked to him after his, after his speech, and uh he basically told me to come work with him uh, in the summertime. So I went and did that, and Denny, the uh, Cloudhead owner, was also working with him at that time. So then the when we were working uh, for him, the Oculus uh, Kickstarter happened, and Denny was already part of the, um, uh, I think the website was uh, meanttobeseen.com. There was a, like a big like VR forum that's like where Palmer Lucky and, and all like the OG VR people were. So Denny was kind of like a part of that. And he he left to to go I guess follow his dream and and make a make a VR game. I didn't uh, go work with him right away, but uh, after the, the Kickstarter, he uh, we got back in contact and and I came on as kind of like the QA community guy. wasn't much a community back then, so it was more <laughs> more QA. <laughs> yeah, so then we started working on one of the Kickstarter awards was the exploration school for for the gallery. Uh, so we started working on that. I was again just QA on that. We decided to kind of split the gallery up into episodes and and kind of do like a more story-driven cinematic kind of experience. And since my background is kind of in video and that sort of thing, I was in charge of all the cinematics, and that's when I became cinematic designer. Uh, and then I was basically cinematic designer all the way up until Pistol Whip, in which I became that level designer slash animator uh, in by the way, I have no animation experience, but <laughs> I know how to work a motion capture suit. <laughs> we call nice. him the animator. 
Yeah, so there's a bunch there's a bunch of animations in the game. Um, we actually have a, we have a tool in Unity called the Danimator, which is gonna be there forever. Awesome. <laughs> and then uh, yeah, and then uh, I became the lead level designer, and now we're here. Quite a journey. Yeah, it sounds like you both followed sort of similar paths of coming into the the studio and then gaining new skills and finding out what you're passionate about and moving around to different positions wearing many hats potentially yeah totally like it, it was so much learning on the go uh with with this like i dropped out of university well, i didn't drop out i didn't go back i guess that counts as dropping out <laughs> but like i i learned i learned so much more just like taking this job and like just learning on the fly than than uh being at school that's a sentiment I've heard from a lot of different developers, at least in the industry, uh, that there's kind of a bit of this like scoff or poo-pooing to those who go to higher education for like game design, whereas people who have been in the industry for like 20 or however many years are like, you know, it's so much more valuable just to get into the job space like immediately. I guess I would like to know, like, what are your feelings on that? Both like you and Anthony, like, did you, do you feel like it was good that you guys went to higher education before going into the games industry? Or do you feel like just getting that first job, like really exponentially brought your skills up more than your school experience? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's different for everybody, right? Like, like for me, I wasn't really like a big school guy. <laughs> well, what do you mean by that? Because we got we got work hard, play hard people. We got people who play hard, play hard. <laughs> like, where do you fall on the spectrum? I did. I just find the structure of school boring. Like going in and just sitting there and have someone talk to you. Like I I, I like getting my hands dirty and like going in and like figuring out how to do stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, reading stuff in a textbook and having people tell me like how to do things. Is, it's just not not the way I I learn. I guess so. Getting jumping into that job super early was. was for me personally super valuable but like for someone else like going going to school and and getting that getting that solid base like like obviously is like super valuable right yeah for for me then uh i went to school for writing i didn't i didn't specifically go to school for game design right uh and so i had a really unique structure for my school i had a lot of workshops i was really hands-on with all my stuff and i i found that experience really really valuable for my writing side of things uh, but in terms of like getting into design, uh, certainly the hands-on approach, you know, being with a small team like Cloudhead, I think one of your questions was like, how big was the team when we started? For me, we were nine people when the team started. And I think Dan was four or five people. So having that small team where, yeah, you need to wear all these different hats and like, you know, I'm doing QA, I'm doing social media, but then I'm also learning about design at the same time. Really, really valuable. And when you think about game development and game design and going to school for it too, really expensive in general. You know, those schools really, really, really expensive. Uh, And uh, and especially for VR, uh, there's not really a lot of schooling for that. You know, we're talking about a brand new medium, a brand new design language, uh, uh, you know, stuff that hasn't that, that developers themselves are still trying to figure out. So how who could teach that? You know, we have some we have some really brilliant exceptions like Jesse Shell is a great instructor. He does university teaching and teaches VR and and all that kind of thing. Uh, But there's not really a whole bunch of that around the world and certainly not maybe in a more remote area like like our team is. We're on in the west coast of Canada on Vancouver Island, Uh, you know, not even in a major city. Um, There's just not a lot of options there unless you're doing something online, I guess. But again, at that point, just find a team and get your hands dirty. 
uh, really valuable stuff, especially in VR. For sure. Yeah. And it's it's great that you call out the multiple hats thing, because as soon as you said nine people, I was like, oh boy, like the engineer <laughs> is the sound designer is mm-hmm. the art director. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah. But but that kind of draws me to another question that I want to pose to you, Anthony. How did it feel transitioning from like a like a primarily writing background to then being like the social media person trying to be like that, I guess, either the face of the company or like the middle person that the gamers communicate mm-hmm. to the company with and then ultimately becoming a, a level dev or a, a mapper? Yeah, I mean, it was an, it was an incredible experience for me. Um, it's it's always been a dream, you know. I've always, since I was a kid, thinking critically about games and thinking about design and, and how levels work and how mechanics work and and, and really thinking about games in that way. Uh, so it was a really natural evolution for me. And specifically with Cloudhead, again, small team, many hats. When I'm joining in on social media, then I'm talking with all of these people, right? I'm talking with the lead level designer. I'm talking with the artists. I'm talking with the sound designers. I'm talking with the CEO. So I'm just learning all of these different things about all the different components of the studio. Uh, and uh, and design just happened to be the, the, the kind of one side of things that, that was really compelling for me. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, so so I made that transition and and I'm very happy to have made it because I, yeah, I'm really happy with the work I've done on Pistol Whip and it's really fun to build bubbles. Awesome. And I guess like kind of my last question for this sort of starting segment would be what has kept you at Cloudhead this long? Because you guys have, you've had your journey, but you've been at Cloudhead for a while. So it must be a really cool, fun place to work or there must be some sort of je ne sais quoi, like keeping you there and keeping you passionate. Yeah, for me, like, my whole career has been at Cloudhead, right? So, like, I, I, I love the people who work here. Like, management's great. But, like, the the main thing for me is is basically my whole career is being at the forefront of, of, of technology and, and always seeing this new stuff that's going on and having to figure out how to make games work with all this new technology. And it's super fun and super exciting. We, we used to joke, like, it's it, it's like being in the, in the Wild West. There's no, like, playbook about what's going on. And that's, I don't know, I find right. that super exciting and super fun. Like Anthony mentioned, the whole new design language that needs yeah, to be exactly. discovered and refined through people making games for VR. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I then you've been here for eight years now. Is that right? Seven, eight? Uh, ten, nine, Jesus, ten. That, that long? Oh my Whoa. god. Yeah. So I've only been here for five Congratulations. years. Congratulations. Yeah. Good job, Dan. Uh, I've only been here for five years, um, but that that you know five years is the consumer launch of VR. I joined the team. At, I joined right. the team basically right as they launched their first consumer title, called the Starseed. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, the, I mean, I've stayed with Cloudhead because they've continued to be at the forefront of everything. You know, we launched Pistol Whip when the Quest launched. I think we were the first, if not the second, studio in the entire world to receive what became the Index. Right, just this cutting edge hardware, cutting edge software, and uh, just never really like phoning it in. Um, like even Pistol Whip, you know, it's a lower scope game. It's kind of arcadey. It's kind of straightforward. You would you would think, uh, but it's a first of its kind experience. There had never been a rhythm shooter like that before that had the kind of agency that you have in Pistol Whip, where you know it. There again, there's. We talk a lot about Pistol Whip having kind of no line in the sand. Um, uh, it's not like a traditional rhythm game where you can kind of, you have to hit a certain thing at a certain beat. It's a very freeform rhythm game where you can shoot anything on any beat. And there had never been a game like that before. So even though we did the kind of this smaller scope thing compared to what we started with with the gallery, which were these big, bold adventure games, uh, we still had this really innovative and original idea with Pistol Whip. Uh, and, uh, and you know, that's the kind of software that we build at Cloudhead, and that's the kind of thinking we have at Cloudhead. 
you know, we just saw uh, we got the, we got the Steam Deck early on uh, for for development purposes, and we could we could see you know how Pistol Whip works on that, you know, to uh, uh, you know start thinking about maybe future future devices with similar similar technology. Who's to say those exist? Um, but uh, uh, yeah, lots of lots just lots of really cool cutting edge stuff, and and uh, and th- that we're doing it all too. For me, is like we're doing it all on Vancouver Island on the west coast of Canada. You know, this is my home. This is where I've lived almost my entire life. Uh, and, uh, and it's not where you normally hear about really studios that have like this big global effect, right? Pistol Whip is one of the top 10 games on the entire Quest platform. And we're doing that again from just this tiny remote town in, in Vancouver Island. That sounds awesome. Like that, you guys got <laughs> yeah. me genuinely pumped up for <laughs> Cloudhead and like whatever. Uh, be careful now. Your Amazon packages are going to get extra eyes towards them because everyone's <laughs> going to think it's a brand new headset or something. <laughs> no, but that's sick. Like, it's amazing that, you know, such a small team can create something that is so groundbreaking, but also like wide reaching, you know, we're able to like bring our weird ideas or even like just general notions and feelings, you know, such as being John Wick in the nightclub in the movie and like sharing that with the world. It's, it's a brand new medium, right? We're not just, we're not just creating that John Wick feeling in like a 2D game in, in, in kind of a, a platform in a format that people are really, really right. used to. We're, we're coming up with those feelings and we're, again, we mentioned this kind of this new design language that we have with VR that we've only been working on for less than 10 years in the, in the consumer space. Uh, and even less than that, if you want to consider things like tetherless and, and hand tracking, right? Five, five, six, seven years. Uh, so we're not just building that type of experience for flat. We're building it for VR, which is the future of computing. So we're advancing the future of computing at the same time we're getting more eyes and more hands on these devices so that you know uh, these these hardware makers are are seeing more value in producing more of this hardware and subsidizing the costs and I think it all pushes the whole industry forward and by nature this industry is the future of technology so we're kind of pushing it all forward in a way so you said something uh, that I want to touch on, which is that it's a whole new medium, VR. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something you know I've been, been saying for a long time. And a lot of people, I think, sort of think of it as just an extension of flat screen gaming, where it's like a, almost a peripheral. But it really is a completely new medium. I'm curious, you know, you've been around in the VR space sort of from the start. Have you seen a shift in either the internal mindset of the studio or what you're hearing when you talk with other developers about how experimental you need to be versus, oh, we've got it all figured out, you know, we sort of know the best practices now for VR, we can just make games and yeah, I mean, we, we've always been um, trying to figure out what works in VR. Like, it's still such a new medium that, like, there's always new stuff to figure out. Like, when, when we were first starting, the, the big thing was, hey, how do we move around in VR? And, and we kind of we came up with, with teleportation, and now that's super dated. Uh, and then we started coming up with other things. Like, there's always, there's always new things to design for, especially, especially because the technology is always changing. Um, there's always new stuff coming out with these new headsets, like, like with the, when the index came out, uh, we had to figure out how to use, like, fingers in, in, in VR. Something that was really, really important, and I think it's been a through line for the studio, has been comfort. Um, Dan mentioned teleportation. Teleportation was was the result of trying to find a comfortable way to locomote around a world because we realized very early on that things like stick movement and, and free movement and smooth movement made a lot of people uncomfortable. 
and, and motion sick and turned off of VR. So one of our biggest challenges as a studio is, from my opinion, has really been like nailing that comfort. Uh, with with uh, and with Pistol Whip, we we are still thinking about that. Uh, we we realized we wanted more kinetic movement, you know, so we have this kind of this forced momentum. Uh, but we have a lot of comfort affordances. You know, the speed is only so fast. There is no slowing down or speeding up. There, there's really specific level design in order to maintain things like peripheral stabilization so you don't get infection issues. Um, and when we think about the future of VR, uh, I think that's really important to, even if we want to do something ambitious, still trying to figure out the most comfortable way to do it. You know, there are, you know, stick move and free motion or free movement uh, options that have, you know, things like vection portals or, or blinders um, so that you're more comfortable moving in that way. But I think it's really, really important to keep however you're innovating to keep thinking about comfort because we need people to be comfortable so they don't get turned off the headset in the first place. What, what, what was the term you used? Vection corners? Uh, vection portals. Yeah, that's what Denny calls them, our CEO. Um, the idea is some people call them blinders, things like that. So you're referring to the like dark circle outline that basically comes around your vision so you like don't get sick? Is that what you're yeah, referring to? Exactly okay. right. Exactly right. Yeah. And so the idea there is that once you create like this really stable peripheral, there's n- there's nothing moving in the peripheral vision, then you don't get mm-hmm. that kind of uh, motion sickness, that vection issue. I, I definitely want to get around to, to Pistol Whip, but first I want to like give the, the listeners a little bit of context about the studio because... The studio started out building these sort of epic narrative experiences with the gallery. And you talked about deciding, oh, we're going to break it up into different episodes. You released episode one and episode two. Um, And, you know, the VR market was changing over the course of that. So the main thing I'm interested in is before Pistol Whip's conception as an idea, you know, where was the studio at? Like, did you come up with it after the release of the gallery episode two? It was a f- six months after episode two. What year did we release um, the gallery episode two? Episode two was twenty eighteen, I believe. Oh, actually, it was twenty seven. It was twenty seventeen, Dan, because we worked on yeah, uh, no, because we did hand labs. Yeah, and we did the other thing before that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so after episode two, uh, the the plan was to go right into episode three, but I guess sales weren't <laughs> good good enough, so we uh, we ended up taking uh, valve hired us to to work on hand labs so we did, so we did that and then we became a uh game trailer studio for three weeks where we uh where we we made a uh a trailer for a game we really wanted to make greatest trailer ever made by the way yeah really fun <laughs> project just, i hope i just, hope we get to release it at some point because it was a really yeah i know it's it's such, such a good trailer <laughs> um we actually have a we, we have a demo for that for that game that's really fun too um but well, well, you might see it later in the future. Oh my um, goodness! Such teases, <laughs> such teases for us. And and for for when we started, the idea of Pistol Whip came along. We had a full studio meeting, and we're just kind of trying to like throw out ideas of of what what we can do, what we can make quickly, that would be fun and sticky. And and we somehow got to the idea of a shooting rhythm game. And then that same day, Cam. Our uh, our lead gameplay designer 
went downstairs and and made this demo where where he has music and you have to shoot the blocks on the beat and we all went downstairs and played it and it was it was we could tell right away that like there's something there so it's wow. basically one day of of ideation to to uh to little demo and then we we that's the direction we went. So did that John Wick element sort of come in after you played it initially and you're like, "Oh wow, these moves make me feel this way." Yeah, yeah, like once we started using just one controller, you you just felt cool while you were playing. Mhm. And I think John Wick just came out at that point, and we're like, "Oh, this feel this. I feel like I'm John Wick. It's so cool." And then we just kind of like ran with that. Yeah, I think the the second one it just came out. I think one of the the things to think about there too is when we were when we were just first ideating it. Uh, I think John Wick came up really early on because when we when we landed on the the rhythm shooting thing, which was basically an amalgamation of what you'd expect, which is like super hot and Beat Saber. You know, we were looking at what was really working in the VR space. Those two games were specifically working. And then we looked at why they were specifically working. And, you know, it's not just they're good games, which they are, uh, but it, uh, they're very easy to pick up and play, right? Uh, they're very low scope in terms of their art design. Uh, so that they're, they're quicker to build that way. Uh, and then very physical spatially, uh, right? Uh, Super Hot's all about moving around in your space. Beat Saber's about, you know, moving your arms around. Uh, and, and we just wanted to combine that physicality with that shooting gameplay with the rhythm gameplay. And, uh, you know, we started talking really early on about, um, Baby Driver, like in that first meeting, we talked about Baby Driver, uh, and then we landed on John Wick and thinking about movie trailers and, and how, you know, bullets line up to the gunshot or gunshots line up to the music in, in those movie trailers. Uh, and then specifically that John Wick scene where he's in the club and, and he's doing exactly that. We, you know, we threw up that, that clip on the TV and we all watched that and we were like, yeah, this is, this is kind of the, the feeling we want to get to. Uh, and then, yeah, when we started building Pistol Whip, then, then we built towards that feeling. We, we found where that feeling was coming from, uh, which was a lot of it's in dodging, uh, but also a lot of it is in how you weapon handle. So really early on, uh, again, like Dan mentioned, like as soon as we had that first prototype, we kind of knew we had something. There were, there were some, there were some differences in that first prototype. Like we had, we had a, a more Attica style feeling in the, in that first prototype where, um, you have to shoot on a specific beat. Uh, and we realized that was really restricting and wasn't really l l lending itself to the John Wick feeling. Uh, so we stripped that out. Uh, and then we added an auto-aim, uh, which really helped to the John Wick feeling uh, because, you know, how casually and how how tactfully he can take out those targets, right? Um, uh, and so when when you can then casually feel like this action hero, uh, I think that that really contributes to the feeling. And so that John Wick feeling was was there right from the very beginning. And, and, we, and we built towards it uh, whenever we found it. In, in gameplay. So you had this really strong vision that sort of everyone on the team could latch onto and sort of in terms of how should this game make me feel. And then it sounds like you looked very analytically at both other games and, you know, Beat Saber and, and uh, Super Hot and sort of kinesthetically what works here. Autica, stuff like that. Well, Attica, Attica didn't even exist at that point. We, 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 we were coming up with Pistol Whip before Attica even released. It was three months after, after we were building Pistol Whip when Attica released their first trailer. And we were like, well, I guess mm -hmm. we're somewhat on the right track. And we, and we kind of knew <laughs> wow. then too, because Attica again had that kind of forced, you have to shoot on this beat feeling to it. We were like, okay, you know, Harmonic's great team. They're doing really interesting stuff with Attica. This is a completely different game than Pistol Whip. 
right? Pistol Whip is all right. about this freeform on rails experience where you're it's it's cinematic, right? And Nautica was just kind of like a rhythm game. You're in a an ethereal space and you're shooting targets and and so we knew we knew like when we saw that first trailer for Nautica, we were like, okay, you know, clearly this is an interesting idea, but we've got such a different direction here. Um, it, it it never really poses any sort of trouble. Um, I don't I don't even now consider us really direct competitors to Attica, um, just because again the gameplay is just significantly significantly different. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think it's actually really cool that you mentioned adding in the aim assist like soon soon after the initial demo so that people got the feeling of being that tactical hitman. Mm-hmm. You guys ended up making it a modifier to turn that off the the modifier to turn off the aim assist did that come internally or did like players ask for that at some point no that, that was that was internally right away or maybe not right away but i i think a few months before release we uh we turned it off and and it just totally changed up gameplay and we we thought we'd like we, we needed to put that in there just because we know there's gonna on day one there's gonna be people who just ace the game with auto aim so they they're going to need that next step which it's basically our expert mode okay so presenting mutators for the hardcore of the hardcore yeah right right off the bat so i'm curious when you were initially sort of trying to figure out what motions fit this vision for the game how many people were working on it at that time it's like a small team internally or the whole studio uh it was the whole studio but it was it was a pretty small team still oh so how how many people was it at the time (sighs) 10 or 12 12 yeah. start a pistol up yeah yeah but that wasn't all production that was like the whole team so okay yeah. and that was through the gallery episode two as well and and hand lab that was you were all like 10 to 12 yeah we went we went wow. a little bit higher for ep2 um yeah i think we're up to like 18 17, i think EP2. 19 on the whole team and and 17 on production i think it was something like that yeah yeah, that's, that's including like management and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then yeah, and then we shrunk back down again for Hand Lab. Um, and then uh, and then once Pistol Whip released and, and we saw some success there, then we then we grew, grew back up again. So it sounds like you know to put it bluntly, it was like hard times for the studio where it's like oh you know we're not episode two didn't perform as well. What do we do? Was there any sense when Pistol Whip started picking up and everyone was excited about? It? Was there anyone who was like ah, but this isn't the gallery were compromising on this like epic narrative vision or was everyone like wow this is really fun uh for i mean i had joined the studio for the gallery in a lot of ways right I, again i came from a writing background i love adventure games i love puzzle adventure games the gallery was like the perfect thing for me and exactly what i wanted to be working on uh so when we pivoted from the gallery to pistol whip i was like it's sad to like not continue to have this really big narrative scope um but uh, for me personally, then then yeah, Pistol Whip was just so compelling, and I'm also a rhythm game fan in the first place, uh, and I like John Wick, so it, it, I totally bought into Pistol Whip, and I love Pistol Whip to date. And I think for the most part, everyone was pretty excited about Pistol Whip. I don't think like anyone like left the team because it was like you know I want to work on the gallery or anything like that. Uh, and and I've said this before in, in other interviews, and and. Uh, and you know maybe maybe the the money doesn't agree with me, but I'd I'd still love to go back to the gallery if 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 ever possible because yeah that's such a such a compelling format uh, and we have a really cool story there and I'd love to wrap that up and and the the scope of it too right this was really interesting com- when you think about this kind of big linear adventure in the gallery compared to these smaller encounters that you get with Pistol Whip. 
but we, you know we did the action packs too so we got to get some some of our narrative chops back into the game i mean that's something that really shows i think in in the last two updates the pistol whip where you're bringing in that ability to world build and and create this like compelling narrative and you're like it shows that you guys are really interested in creating narratives in vr yeah i'm kind of curious to know like was there any one person that sort of pushed to have these like stories added into pistol whip or was it like a a desire of the entire team that like hey we want to weave some sort of like narrative carrot in front of you to pull you through each level yeah i i think that i think it sort of developed over time because like our our team is so it's so good at narrative so in my opinion it was an it was an inevitability that that we were gonna do some sort of narrative thing as far as one person kind of pushing it i think uh um our project lead joel green kind of kind of pushed for that and and uh we are all super excited about it because like you know we love doing narrative stuff so why not and uh and it worked out really well so (laughs) it was interesting to see how the 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 scope of the of the cinematic narrative side of things really kind of escalated to over time you know when when joel was first pitching the action packs uh then it was pretty light on narrative um and uh and and as we built our team uh and i moved into this kind of designer role and i was i was writing a bit more and uh and really kind of pushing for bringing back those chops you know dan dan did does great cinematics as well uh bringing back those chops uh that we had with the gallery and and really utilizing the full the full team strengths was really important and yeah joel joel definitely pushed that really really hard uh, as as audio designer as well so i'm sure he had a lot of fun uh doing voiceover work and sound effects and stuff like that yeah, and I think originally the scope was uh, we were, we were going to have interstitials mm-hmm. um, or, or I guess uh, cinematics in between each level, but they were only going to be like w- one single panel with just voiceover. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they ended up being multiple panels that with depth and and uh, animation and and we just we, we had this idea and we just expanded it a, a ton and it turned out really, really well. And they're super fun to make too. <laughs> that's that's a pretty rare thing is uh, getting to expand your scope rather than cut <laughs> it over the course yeah. of development. <laughs> I mean, we definitely cut a lot of scope, but but we uh we expanded a, a ton before we cut. It seems like you guys are really adamant about pursuing you know what is working in the game that we have in front of us right now. What's making this fun, and let's focus on that. Yes, and we also are really interested in continuing to allow like new like ways to play as well. That's that was one of our core pillars from day one was was allowing these multiple ways to to top scores or multiple ways to play. Uh, and so we launched with with the set of modifiers, and every single update we've added more and more modifiers, and we've got more modifiers to come. Um, and uh, and that's really about like not just kind of sitting on our hands and and delivering the same pistol whip experience, but but coming up with really kind of a bold new idea which was the action packs uh and then also just continuing to allow things like the concierge uh or the, or the style system which kind of blew up the game and turned it into a sandbox game and uh, the more the more modifiers we can add into then you know it's not just the same pistol whip experience you actually kind of get a whole bunch of experiences all underneath the pistol whip label uh, which is really interesting you know we can we can start pushing things more towards rhythm game more towards action game uh so on and so forth now, was this all sort of in the cards from from day one of launch, or was like 
you know, I, I imagine the success of the game was kind of a surprise. Um, I think the popularity of the quest took everyone by surprise. So, like, did you have in mind that you wanted to do a bunch of DLC for Pistol Whip, or did the opportunity just fall in your lap and you went, ran with it? When we when we launched Pistol Whip, we we didn't really have like a solid solid plan of what we wanted to do, but like after launch day we're like oh this game's gonna be super popular everyone loves it already uh so we kind of started thinking of what we can do next and we uh started putting out the levels every every month and a half or so and then i think right before our last level is when we when we came up with the with the uh action pack idea and concierge at the same time and concierge yeah yeah so you guys saw the success of the launch of Pistol Whip, and then from there said, let's keep nurturing this through the, like, one level every one to two months, which, like, as a player who is playing Pistol Whip, you know, dev and player, who was playing Pistol Whip since launch, I was seeing those new levels drop, and I was thinking, like, holy shit, free new levels and, like, pretty frequent, you know? And then I'm, like, I'm giving the glare over to, like, Asgard's Wrath and any of the other, like, big stuff. Like, you know, big meaning, like, tons and tons of money pumped into it by Zuck and, and company. Yeah. But, like, those games are often, like, they drop and then they don't get, like, sustained support. But here we have Pistol Whip giving sustained support and ultimately leading to these, like, going from individual levels to bundles of levels, which I believe is what you're referring to when you say action packs. That's right. And... That's a great evolution of the idea. The other thing I kind of wanted to uh, hone in on with that is that you guys, like the, well, Cloudheads, uh, released those, all those tracks. Like it started at, I believe, like 10 tracks and then, yep. you know, went up to 18 pl more tracks on top of that. So around 28 tracks. And for, for the most part, all of those were free up until I believe shortly after Smoke and Thunder, the game went up by a couple of dollars. But like... I guess I kind of would like to get your feeling as like two internal developers, like with, with that long tail of like putting out free content and then like charging more. Like, do you guys have any feelings about that? Like either as players or as devs, like, do you care to see like a game go up in value, even though it's like been given more content over the course of life where we often are seeing, you know, these bigger budget games coming out and then using microtransactions or whatever to like keep the life of the game continuing. I like the raising the price after the fact more than than DLC personally because one of the things we didn't want to do is is split up our player base because we're we're like we're like adding adding all these modifiers and all, all these new levels and like like if we if we did DLC some people wouldn't buy them by by the by the uh, action packs and they wouldn't get these new modifiers and then it would it would just it would just split up everything. Right, that's a major problem that like the Call of Duty player base would often run exactly. into. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So by by raising the price afterwards, it it uh, kind of rewards the people who who supported us at the beginning and 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 bought the game early, and also doesn't alienate them as well, right? Right. I think I think we followed I mean pretty closely to the early access formula, right? We we didn't yeah, we didn't yeah. launch in early access, but we had a small game at launch. We continued building it for a year, two years. Uh, released a ton of new content, changed up the shape of the game, gave it a facelift, did a whole bunch of stuff, uh, and then said, okay, you know, this is, this is maybe what, what an early access game might call a 1.0 release. Here's now the time that we should raise the price. I'm definitely on the side of agreeing with y'all. And was this successful enough to maybe think about it for other titles moving forward? Pretty hard to say. Because we were, it's kind of an early access formula without releasing early access. 
you know, maybe mm-hmm. maybe this says to us, maybe next time we should do an early access and just and do it that way instead. But I think clearly uh, this 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 format of like small sticky gameplay loop with with ongoing live support does make sense. Post-launch, like we mentioned, a ton of levels came out. The narrative side of Cloudhead made its way in the Pistol Whip. I'm wondering if the community had any strong influence, like the player base reaction to the game or certain elements of the game. Did that community feedback or input play any role whatsoever in like that one-year future of Pistol Whip after launch? Yeah, there, there's a couple things that came up. The, the funny thing is that a lot of the feedback we got, especially over the first year, was very, very similar to the first round of feedback that we received during playtests, initial playtests. Basically, we had like 95, 90% of our players in our, in our, in our playtests. We did like a round of 100 people before the launch of the game. Um, and about 90, 95% of those people just like loved the game. And then there was about 10% of the people who just kind of didn't really click with it, which seemed totally fine. Again, Pistol Whip is not a traditional rhythm game. You don't shoot on the beat. You shoot on any beat. Uh, and that was really kind of complicated for a lot of people because it relies less on, okay, here's your metronome, you know, here's your, here's your exact timing. Just follow the instructions. It's more freeform in terms of, okay, find your internal rhythm and then play to that. And some people just don't have internal rhythm. So we started things like um, the uh, the metronome haptics um, that uh, that gives you a haptic pi- vibration for what we consider to be the beat of the song. Um, and then uh, as the game grew, we started adding things like uh, no beat sections, which are kind of like uh, the solo sections in Rock Band, where instead of being scored for your individual beats, uh, you just kind of get to do whatever you want and you, you completely freeform in any rhythm you want and you, and you get all your points and it's totally fine. Um, so kind of stripping away uh, some of the, again, the preconceptions of rhythm games. Uh, when we were first building the game, we had a song list instead of a quote-unquote scene list. Um, you know, it was, again, a very traditional rhythm game thing. You just have your list of songs. You pick a song, you play a song. Uh, and so we said, okay, let's pull it back a little bit. It's not quite a rhythm game. These are not songs. These are scenes that you're playing, right? They're like levels that you're playing. Um, and so we put down these scene posters, and then people had less uh, preconceptions about what the rhythm game was, and, and they entered it more like an action game. And then they were more comfortable uh, just like kind of surviving uh, as it goes, um, rather than trying to hit to the rhythm right away. It's interesting that taking account of the feedback during playtests, during development, trying to make the decision between do we alter player expectations by, you know, turning it from a song list to a scene list, or do we change the game to match the player expectations? Um, and of course, once it's out, it's a, it's, you know, people are going to have whatever expectations because it's already been set. Mm-hmm. But I think that's something that's pretty counterintuitive. Um, people who aren't designers may not realize, like, you don't have to take player feedback at face value. Yeah, totally. I mean, we would we would maybe end up closer to Autica had we done that, right? Because, um, I, again, I think I think things like things like shooting on any beat was was really kind of a complicated decision. Uh, and it and it did kind of confuse people. And, and especially the, the way we score on beat as well. Um, the, the default scoring in the game is that, uh, if you are on beat, you just get full points. There's no, there's no like, oh, you were slightly off beat, so you get slightly less points for the beat. Uh, it's just a complete full stop on beat, off beat. Um, and things like that, 
were were really complicated, and, and we made those decisions despite you know playtest feedback that were that were confused about that uh, specifically because uh, we wanted to allow this really freeform gameplay. Uh, very famously, our tutorial, or infamously maybe, our tutorial has no discussion at all about the rhythm or how to score on beat or anything like that. We don't we don't even mention it in our tutorial. Our tutorial is focused entirely on shooting, reloading, dodging, and uh, um, surviving. Uh, just 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 like just staying alive in the first place before you even think about rhythm. And so a lot of the community feedback, especially over time, has been like, okay. Let's start seeing more of those rhythm game elements come into the game. And so uh, right now we're working on um, some additional documentation in the game to kind of explain a little bit more how the rhythm side of it goes. Um, uh, so people kind of understand a bit more how it is a rhythm game. Uh, you know, we're also considering modifiers that do the same thing that maybe make it a little bit more of a rhythm game. Um, I think there's been some really interesting community feedback there in terms of uh, in terms of, you know, where it falls on the line of is this a rhythm game? Is this not a rhythm game? Uh, and then things that we can do to support both those player types because we want to be the sandbox freeform game. So we've talked a lot about Pistol Whip in general. We've talked a lot about Cloudhead games. Uh, now I want to get into the nitty gritty of Pistol Whip and ask a bunch of questions that have been eating at me. I got lots of questions, but I want to start with something a little easy and ask you both if you can share a time where you had some sort of strong emotional reaction to pistol whip or like working on pistol whip well for for me it was uh when we were working on 2089 the first the first action pack uh i was i was testing some bug that was in the first level and i i, I jumped in and i ended up playing through the whole action pack without mm. even remembering what i was supposed to be doing and just like <laughs> playing like playing the whole thing for like half an hour and being like oh wow that was amazing that was so much fun and uh and i think that was the first time that that like i knew like this the, this action pack was like awesome and a really good idea but for me that was that was one of the one of the coolest moments during during uh production of pistol whip like what what distracted you from finding your bug was it the narrative was it the gameplay something else I think it was it was a combination of everything, right? Like like the the design of all the levels was was super fun. That that was right around the time where where I was starting to get the cinematics uh, animated and standing up, so so they were starting to get like super engaging. Yeah, it was definitely a combination of everyone's work into this uh, half an hour experience that that just blew your mind away. Yeah, blew blew my mind. Felt felt good. It was it was. It was, it was just like really nice to see every, everyone's work combined into this one one thing. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I love that feeling. How about you, Anthony? You know, the first time I got to the credits of 2089 and being like, we just made like a gallery level immersive experience in a shooting rhythm game. Uh, you know, it resonated with me in such a way. It gave me the shivers. I'm like, wow, this was like fun and nostalgic and unique and like, like we'd actually like done something super super interesting and i was super proud of it um but uh be, other than that the first time i did a song swap and i muted the game and i played some taylor swift and i was like how am i playing taylor swift to pistol up right now and it's lining up and i'm having a blast <laughs> uh, uh, it really kind of blew my mind again once again like this game because it's so freeform you can kind of do anything with it and and so realizing that like 
okay, we have these great levels designed, and these levels are actually multi-purpose because they can be used with other songs with similar BPMs or similar rhythms. And just by the nature of music theory, you know, things like choruses and pre-choruses and hooks, they all come around the same place. Uh, and again, if the BPM is similar, then you're getting really similar dodging experiences, you're getting really similar shooting experiences. Um, and so like just having like a random song that I know and I'm familiar with line up, getting my internal rhythm and then being like, okay, you know, this isn't just a hardcore EDM game. This is like, you can, any music works here. Any music you want works in these levels. Um, and then, so I'm personally really excited for like custom, custom levels to come online. Yeah. That's I was really just about to ask more about the song swapping thing, but now I get it. That sounds amazing. I <laughs> Like very, if, if I ever get the opportunity to play Nuck If You Buck while going down a pistol whip alley, uh, it's going to be over. Get the brawler modifier. Like it's on. My walls are breaking. My quest is going to crack. <laughs> like sometimes modifiers coming online really like just like blow my mind because I'm like a new modifier yeah. comes online and then I'm playing the game an entirely different way and I'm like, we really nailed that that idea that like you can kind of play this game so many different ways. Uh, you know, the first time Dan mentioned, the first time we played with Deadeye, it's like, wait a second, all you have to do is turn off aim assist and the game feels completely different. Um, first time we added Vengeance, stuff like that. Um, we've got a new... Bullet, uh, Bullet Hell came online. It was like... Whoo. Bullet Hell super interesting. Yeah, like realizing that, that Pistol was also a fitness game. Uh, that was really compelling. Um, there's some new mods that we're working on right now that I'm super excited to get into people's hands because one of the things that Concierge allows is us specifically to change scoring methods, right? Because each style is it has its own leaderboards. Each style can be scored in its own way. Um, so now right. modifiers can actually affect scoring in a, in a different way. Uh, and so remember we were talking earlier about how like how like beat currently is is only uh, uh, an on off a binary right so you either hit the beat or you don't hit the beat but maybe there's a modifier where there's a gradient there and you can actually play it more like a traditional rhythm game or maybe fuck the beat and you just want to play a shooting game and now there's a modifier that lets you play like a like a straight up shooting game with no rhythm at all has there been a moment where you're like oh maybe this is an, a more compelling experience than base pistol whip and like this is what it quote should be um, not for me, because anything on top uh, just adds a level of complexity that takes away the really accessible, pure fun, monkey brain activity that is Pistol Whip. Um, you know, even even going dual wield, I'm like, I, I, I don't think I would ever make dual wield the default over single pistol for Pistol Whip. Um, because, uh, you know, you're starting to think about two different directions. You're thinking about two different hands reloading asynchronously. Um, it's just so much more mental load. Any, anytime you add a modifier or another weapon or anything like that. Um, I think that, I think the, the, the base pistol whip experience was really smartly landed on. Um, and, uh, and, and I don't think I would replace that, that base pistol whip experience with anything else in order to maintain the, again, the accessibility and the, uh, the pure, like, fun of it without like overloading players yeah like like the the base pistol whip is still my my most preferred way to play um it just it yeah like lance said it gets my it, it makes my lizard brain happy the fun thing about modifiers is, is like someone in the studio will be like yeah i just played this level with bullet hell and headhunter and and all that so you guys should try it and, and be my score so that that's always super fun to like when, when you when you play a level with just base pistol whip and then then you someone switches it up and it totally changes it's 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 super fun but yeah base base pistol web is still my my preferred way to play that's interesting smoke and thunder you get two guns by default 
Yep. How did you come around to that decision of like, well, you know, base pistol whip is great, but let's depart from that for this whole expansion. Yeah, I mean, it kind of comes back to the community question early on. Like, we had a lot of people at launch be like, oh, you know, I want to turn off aim assist. And so we had something like Deadeye and, and lots of people at launch being like, oh, I actually want two controllers. And, and so we had dual wield them at launch. Um, but there were still lots of people that like weren't finding those settings or weren't necessarily like realizing how open pistol whip was or anything like that. Uh, and so I, I think a big part of the decision to go dual wield for, um, smoke and thunder was, was like accounting for that and being like, okay, Hey people, look, pistol whip can be played with two guns. It's super fun with two guns. It's a whole new experience with two guns. Um, and, uh, let's see how this changes level design. Uh, let's see, you know, what kind of things we can, we can come up with, how we can, you know, really encourage two guns rather than just having the second gun being just kind of some help or whatever. Like you run out of ammo and you're like, oh, I need another bullet. And so like, there's another gun or whatever, but like actually making meaningful gameplay out of two weapons by encouraging players to switch weapons or, or to alternate ammos or, or, or alternate ammo in each weapon or, or change the, the, the side of the, the body that they're aiming. Right. So like crossing their arms, I think was a really interesting thing to try to encourage in, in smoke and thunder, ha- placing enemies on the right hand side, but you have no ammo in your right hand weapon. So you have to use your left hand weapon and then shoot those enemies and then now there's enemies on the left so you got to reload your right hand and go with your your right hand over your left arm and so on and so forth and and coming up with all those moments to prove out dual wield was re- was really interesting yeah it was definitely a, a fun design challenge to to start making these five pistol whip levels with dual wield in mind other than instead of base pistol whip i i think the original reason why we went with dual wields was we wanted to we knew we wanted to do a uh like a cowboy game and we also we wanted to do uh the the revolver gun um so we wanted to wanted to do two different guns in in each hand and for for whatever reason that didn't work out um but we 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 still kept with the with the with the dual wield gameplay uh for for that for that action pack which which uh ended up being super fun how has the understanding of pistol whip quote-unquote like the the gameplay experience the possibilities without you know cognitively overloading anyone how did even the thought process of like we could play with x and y and z like did that evolve and if so how did it evolve after like pistol whip launched yeah is there anything that now you're thinking about that when you were initially developing it wouldn't have wouldn't have even crossed your mind or you wouldn't have thought was feasible in the game we we had such a really strong set of core pillars from the very very beginning and we've always stuck to those pillars um and so it 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 was fairly easy almost every single time to look at an idea um and then say does this idea make sense for pistol whip does it fit these pillars uh and then and then cut it if necessary uh one of the things that kind of comes to mind there really easily is uh two-handed reload manual reload um right so in pistol whip then we we take the arcade thing where you like shoot off screen to reload and we just say you know point down to reload um but uh you know we did experiment with some things where it's like okay uh there's maybe a world where uh two-handed reload makes sense because it's you know it's cool and tactile and it gives you that john wick physicality uh, but the mental load just was 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 too much that it didn't make sense. Um, however, I, to answer the question, I guess is like 
as Pistol Whip has evolved, and especially as, as the concierge came online, the concierge, again, opens so many new things because you can score differently and you can say, okay, this is a sandbox now, and you can really ramp up the difficulty up, you know, both easier and harder. And so, like, something like even Threatless, which is, like, enemies don't even shoot, that kind of changes things up quite a bit. Um, and you And we didn't really expect... Uh, something like that to work maybe in the first version of Pistol Whip because we thought of Pistol Whip as a bullet hell. So like taking the bullet hell out of the bullet hell game is like, what are we doing? <laughs> Power-ups is another thing we, we've talked about. Uh, you know, a, a kind of an old school arcade idea of like, okay, like maybe there's power-ups throughout the scene and you have to shoot them or hit them and then you like, you like change weapons mid-scene and like uh, stuff like that where it's just like, again, just kind mm. of really overcomplicating things. Even though it seems like, okay, that, that fits the arcade style, it just, it, too much mental load overcomplicates things. And, and like you said, I think it's really important, especially for new players to Pistol Whip, to focus on survival first uh, before adding in, you know, more complex things like rhythm. And The team was basically branching out in the areas that they sort of knew or had strengths in, and that's why we saw a narrative and like some modifiers come in. But didn't want to overwhelm the player with any of these steps. So that's why we see things go to the wayside, like more complex reloading mm -hmm. or even some sort of extra complexification of just the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay. Because, you know, if I have to do anything more complex than throw my arm up or down to reload, I now can't focus on the fact that I'm moving, on the fact that bullets might be coming towards mm -hmm. me, which ultimately results in a, a less pleasurable play experience, which none of us want. Totally. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Is there anything that you originally set aside as like this not going to work and now you're like yeah let's let's put it in well the the uh the heat seeker weapons the uh the boomsticks we we worked on those for months trying to trying to make those fun yeah we almost cut the boomsticks we almost yeah we almost cut the boomsticks the boomsticks. Yeah. um and and then we we it, they, they were just getting so complicated that we 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 just brought them back down to to two shots uh, the bullets are explosive, uh, and you can just reload normally, and it just turned out super, super fun, super sticky. I I'm curious to know, uh, because you mentioned it sounds like the boomsticks became like a very controversial thing. Like, why, why was there friction there, at least before simplifying it? Like, where was the boomstick going that didn't gel well with the rest of Pistol Whip? There's a, there's a couple things. Um, one of them is the, the nature of reloading, I think. Um, so again, in pistol whip, you, you, it's really simple. You just kind of point down to reload. Uh, but with the boomsticks, you only have two ammo per weapon. Uh, and so if you're not really efficient with your ammo, they are, they are explosive rounds. So you can get lots of enemies with a single round. Uh, but mm -hmm. if you're not really efficient with your ammo, uh, then you will end up actually reloading quite a bit. And maybe that causes strain and maybe that's uncomfortable and maybe that's, you know, not the cool action hero experience that, that, that people are really looking for. Um, so it was really hard to kind of come up with the balance for the boomsticks, figuring out the right ammo capacity for the boomsticks, figuring out the right, right, you know, blast radius, that kind of thing. Um, uh, just tuning, tuning the actual mechanics of the boomstick, uh, to account for the idea that, okay, we're maintaining this, this type of reload system. Um, and like, and like, just, just, yeah, just balancing in general. So, you know, you can reload instantly. So like, does two ammo even make a difference? And so you have to kind of design enemy placements in such a way that yes, you are using up that ammo and yes, you are still making people reload every now and then, but like in such a way that if they play it efficiently, then, you know, it's not going to be uncomfortable for them. 
um, famous famous controversy would be scene two, uh, uh, not dead yet or not dead yet, last ride, um, uh, which is the first scene with all these horses and there's like these stampedes of horses and you can get them all with the boomstick. Um, but people were like, okay, you're actually maybe reloading too much. Maybe I'd actually prefer revolvers here. Um, and we said, okay, well, I think the intended gameplay there is, is the really fun exploding all the horses with the boomsticks. Uh, but of course we have the style system now, so you can play that scene with, with revolvers if you'd prefer, and then you're not reloading as much. Um, fi- finding those kinds of balances was really interesting with the boomsticks specifically. One thing that I was, I was thinking of as you guys are talking about all this stuff is it sounds like you're very cognizant about like mental load for the player or like cognitive load where you know introducing more complex reloads or gun in two hands takes up a certain amount of attention for the player and so maybe you have to reduce complexity somewhere else i just think that that's interesting i don't know if that's a question yeah i mean i think i think i think a lot of that came from our background on the gallery too right uh, where that's a puzzle game in a, you know, the first time you've ever been in, uh, fully immersed in a VR adventure where you can like go anywhere and touch everything. Uh, and, uh, and we found that, you know, players would get stuck even on the very first puzzle. Um, because there's just so much stuff to do and it's like there's so much cognitive load, things to remember, places to look at, things to put together. Um, so we were really cognizant of that coming out of something like a, a puzzle adventure game. Uh, into Pistol Whip, which we knew we wanted to really be simplified and, and lizard lizard brain esque, as, as Dan has said. Yeah, and, and uh, we we knew we knew we were designing Pistol Whip mainly for the the quest, and it's the quest is basically like like the the mobile phone of of VR. So yeah, we wanted to keep it super simple. Like we wanted it to like you you put on the quest play play Pistol Whip, and then you could you could pass your headset to your mom or your grandma, and they could just jump in, and it's. And it's basically aim and pull the trigger, and you're playing, and and you, and you know what to do. Yeah, thinking about casual players, thinking about new players. Yeah, just it was super important to to keep the gameplay super simple, and uh, and and but also keep keep it fun while being simple. What I've really been wanting to know for a long time, and I hope a large chunk of our audience wants to know this, is how does a new pistol whip scene get made it's not just a song as you mentioned it's not just an environment it's a whole experience like many parts come together to form a scene and i imagine you two will be the perfect people to talk about it and in talking about it you can tell us kind of like where you specifically come into that pipeline process of like making these levels and maybe what you would personally be doing on them yeah i mean i I mean obviously the first the first step is finding the song um and that's that's quite the process <laughs> how does finding a song come about during during production we could have done a better job but we really just opened up to the studio basically everyone just threw their opinions in we have hundreds of the, and hundreds of songs that we've that we've gone through so for for the first 10 songs we we knew we we wanted to kind of go like the classic rhythm game roots and and just do like electronic music so so we basically focused on that and i think i'm pretty sure we we landed on uh Cannibalin was was our main production studio that we uh got all our songs from um so mm-hmm. we kind of had that library to choose from so you're not just picking any song right you gotta think about licensing and rights and that kind of stuff yeah exactly um and fortunately for us, Cannibalin was like 
super super good to work with like the those guys are awesome they didn't really give us any headaches on on that front but yeah once we got our songs it's basically we knew we wanted these levels to be like movie trailers like action movie trailers so 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 basically the the whole team would meet and and we'd listen to the song and uh kind of like come up with a theme for for the track we'd look at 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 the uh, exciting parts of the song and figure out what kind of set pieces we want there and once we once we have that all figured out, then uh, then the designer on that song would take it and and uh, beat map it. And once it's beat maps, uh, all the enemies would come in, but they just they just like run into right in the middle. At that point, we we'd have to get all the uh, all the. Did we have animations at the beginning, or did no? We just not at the very beginning. At the very in? beginning, then everyone was just kind of running into the middle, and then we added the animations and we started being able to place them in different places. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. At the beginning, we just had cubes. Yeah, there was the cubes too before there was even humanoids. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So we had we had cubes coming in. Um, so would these cubes always walk to the center path? At least in the early stages, were they always like you know the melee guys who walk into the track, or were you able to spawn these cubes off in the distance as if they were dudes that were going to shoot at you? Uh, the the first iteration was was they were rectangles that started small and got bigger, and then once they got to their biggest states, that was the uh, that was the beat you had to shoot them on to get full points. Okay. The Moronica style. Um, from the very yeah, the, yeah. The, the Moronica style. Like, obviously, you could shoot them earlier, and they'd still... If you shot them on a beat, you'd still get full points. But once they once they reached that, that full size, that would be their quote-unquote action action point where they'd shoot at you. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. So once it's beat-mapped, it just, like, you, like, auto-generate a set of enemy spawns, or are you going in and... You're like, all right, on this beat, I want to spawn five guys. So it's more, it's more like you go in blank slate, or you're making adjustments from a sort of initial generation. Early on, we didn't have uh, a library of enemy sequences, so it'd be like Antony would beat map a level, then he'd come to me and be like, Dan, I want this enemy to to run out and stop, and and while he's running out, he want I want him to shoot twice, and then he stops, and then then his action point is there and then i want him to like duck or whatever so i would create uh these these enemy sequences uh which eventually became a library of enemy sequences that the the, the designers just can't use so like at the beginning those first 10 songs it took a long time to create levels just because we didn't have that library of enemy sequences but for example now we can we can create a level super quickly just because we we can beat map we can beat map quickly and then we have that library of of enemy sequences so we know what what they're going to do and we don't need to like create every single movement for enemies now Mm -hmm. yeah we 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 have like the tools just to bang out levels for sure yeah so i was just curious when you guys are talking about the theming is the theming like the name of a movie and like an image or is it like a one-page document like how in-depth is that is it potentially like a kinesthetic action like the the old boy scene where he's taking the hammer down the hallway yeah there's there's kind of uh the the so the it kind of revolves a lot around the music um so i guess it depended it was different between doing the initial set list versus doing uh the action packs because with the action packs then we storyboarded before we had the music um, and then we found music that fit the the theme and the and the and the tone that we wanted to hit for each specific scene of the story. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but with the original setlist, uh, then we grabbed the music, and then from there we were like, okay, what does this evoke for us? 
Um, and so for the, our prototypical scene, Black Magic, uh, then, uh, you know, we listened to it and we heard like these really interesting strings and these interesting drums and some horns. Uh, and, uh, and we were like, this kind of has this Chinatown feeling to it. Uh, so then once we had Chinatown, then we knew that we had like, you know, these close quarter engagements that were down like this tight alleyway. Um, and then, and then from there, it's like, okay, once the music gets a bit louder and, you know, we approach the drop, it's like, okay, let's start thinking about opening up that space. So now you're like approaching a warehouse and maybe there's some cars on the side. Uh, and then, you know, there's this big set piece with a bunch of enemies. Uh, and then, you know, you go into the warehouse and then maybe, maybe, you know, we, when we're thinking about these these storyboards too, we're, we're not thinking about like a direct progression through like a linear space. We're we're really thinking thematically. So you know you you enter this warehouse thing, but now you're like in a nightclub, and then you're at the back of the nightclub. You're back in the warehouse, and then out of the warehouse, you're back into the Chinatown, and it's like these these really kind of surreal spaces kind of merge together to give like a feeling um, rather than this really specific uh, like like linear experience. Um, and, uh, uh, and, uh, so, so yeah, depending on, on what we're working on, then, then the storyboard could be as simple as like, okay, looking at the waveform and then saying, okay, the music is quiet here. So maybe there's close encounters here. The music gets louder here. So maybe there's, you know, bigger, long range, wide exchanges there. Um, uh, compared to something like maybe the, the campaigns where we're like, okay, uh, our, our set pieces are more, maybe more animatic rather than enemy enemy driven right once we added more animations and more animations so we knew like at the end of the scene we want to like overwhelm the player uh so that's a really specific set piece or or with uh with uh 29 it was interesting uh we knew we wanted to do uh, a no melee scene for scene two which turned out to be cage fight um so that's like it's it's whole thing and then we then we build the scene around that as the theme is this no ammo theme and so like you're in this derelict hospital and you've got no ammo and you're fighting your way through and so on and so forth now this is probably pretty iterative right like what what does the process look like in terms of you know getting it fleshed out a first pass and then play testing it internally externally and making changes based on feedback yeah I'll, I'll talk about like the the current process the most modern process um so basically yeah uh, we'll beat map the designers will beat map a level and then place all the enemies uh and we normally start on hard first and then we uh and then we uh we kind of strip down components to go from hard to normal to easy um so we kind of take this hard level at, that's like as hard as we can make it so we can strip it down later on if we need to make it a bit easier so we, we make the level um how we want to make it and then we throw it past the team and, and the designers and, and the design lead and, and we get some playtesting feedback. Uh, and then we go in and we make those changes. Uh, and then we, we start uh, saying, okay, once we're more comfortable with uh, how we are with hard. So changes could be things like, okay, this enemy is hard to see, right? So we got to move this enemy closer in FOV or, or this enemy shoots at an unfair time. So we have to adjust their enemy sequence or, uh, you know, maybe this part just isn't fun. So it needs more to it. Um, that kind of thing. And yeah, well then once we're comfortable with hard, we, we kind of go on to, to normal and easy, uh, and start stripping out components. So that's things like, um, lowering enemy density. Uh, it's things like changing obstacles to be, uh, more generous. So like wider dodges, uh, a higher, higher ducking obstacles, that kind of thing. Um, and then also just enemy shot timings in general. So enemies will shoot less frequently, uh, or, or not at all, that kind of thing. 
Um, yeah, and, and we'll like replace like four, four shot enemies with two shot enemies or or, or one shot enemies. Totally armor armor types as well is, yeah. a, is a great point. Uh, and yeah, and then once we've got those those normal easy, that's that's close to where the rest of the team plays is normal easy. We've got lots of designers who obviously play on hard, uh, but you know like management or or uh, you know some of the artists maybe they play on normal or easy. And so then we get the normal easy play play, play test feedback, uh, and then again more iteration, uh, fixing fixing bugs or or again tuning difficulty, making things a bit more exciting on normal or a bit easier on easy, um, so on and so forth. Uh, and then, uh, and then at that point, once the design is locked in, we pass it over to the artists, uh, and the artists will, uh, will start filling out, uh, filling out the scene. And then we can again iterate based on what the artists do to make, you know, maybe the artist added a wall here, then now someone's not visible. So you have to move them to make them more visible, uh, or, uh, or maybe the artist adjusts the wall or whatever. Um, and again, yeah, more iteration through the art, art phase as well. And then, uh. More playtesting and then more iteration and then we ship it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and and going 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 back to Anthony's point about fist fight, um, I think fist fight had cage fight. Sorry, had, had the most iterations of any level uh, we we've worked on just because it was so hard because <laughs> it was the first first level that we couldn't shoot. Yeah, I remember the first time I played it, I uh, my legs gave out on me just because I was I was squatting. So, much. <laughs> so we're like we're like, Andy, just make it make it a little bit easier, make it a little bit easier. And, uh, yeah, no, it was it was it was it, that, that was a really fun level to to play touch just because I went through so many iterations and, and eventually turned out to be one of the one of the most fun levels in in Pistol Whip. I kind of have, I guess. A related question, although I hadn't thought about this up until this moment. Y'all have a super active game and you test it like wherever you're working. Are there any pro tips to avoiding a super wet face mask after running your level a couple times? Or do you all just sort of deal with the fact that like testing your work means you're gonna you're gonna sweat a couple of couple of rounds. We all have uh, 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 the VR cover on our <laughs> on our indexes. Ah, uh, smart. Yep. Um, and then I think we all have multiple different um, the face uh, the face plates that you, that you can that you can swap out. Yep. But I, I think we've all gotten to the point where well for for me personally like like I I've gotten to the point where I'm good enough to like to test level i don't need to move that much i'm not like i'm not like drenched <laughs> yeah we're pretty efficient with our with our movements for sure yeah d- definitely definitely at the beginning when we were when we were making those first 10 levels and and we're doing uh uh whole studio play tests it would get pretty gross right oh uh, <laughs> uh, yeah we would all be using one index and it'd be uh Oh goodness! It, it, would get, it, it would get very moist. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, that's like get close so to your teammates now. on a biological level. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something neat that we touched on was the difficulty of the boomsticks, getting them kind of into the game or proving them out. I'm wondering, like, was that the most difficult feature to get into the game, or was there something else that we're just totally overlooking that was like the biggest hurdle? Yeah, I mean both the both the weapons, the boomstick and the burst fire, were kind of like that. Um, the bur- the burst fire also went through a bunch of iteration. Um, uh, we tried a, a bunch of different variations. You know, two two round burst, three round burst, four round burst, uh, fully auto, 
we tried uh, we tried a bunch of stuff. Um, um, we tried like a, a a dumb burst as well. You know, in the in the game we have the smart burst. So if you uh, it, if right. you hold the trigger, then it'll automatically fire at targets. Whereas the dumb burst would just automatically fire its burst. Um, uh, I think uh, even more than the boomstick, the boomstick had had some interesting um, design knock-ons. Again, in terms of like okay, managing ammo and, and things like that. Uh, but maybe one of the hardest mechanics would have been the the burst fire that Cam worked on. Uh, just just really nailing exactly how that gun felt and what it what exactly it did uh and it it was it was tough for us as designers too because it took it took a certain amount of time to come online and and we're trying to build these levels for it and we're just kind of imagining what it's going to be like uh when it's done uh when we're building these levels um uh but it all came together and and uh burst fire turned out pretty awesome too so i have a a related question which is We've we've covered a number of things that uh, are sort of in the weeds, you know, talked about vection portals and talked about how the scoring is not binary on beat off beat, but a gradient. Is there something that you think a lot of people overlook in the game's design that actually has like huge consequences for how the game feels? For me, I think this this almost entirely relates to rhythm. Um, ba- ba- basically all the negative reviews that I, that I still see these days are, are people that are like, I don't connect with the rhythm. I don't understand how this is a rhythm game, so on and so forth. Um, or, or like they, they, they make the claim that it like, you know, this was a bullet hell game before it was a rhythm game. And it's like, no, we've been building this as a rhythm game from day one. Um, and, uh, all of our mechanics support that. Uh, and, uh, uh, just because it's not a traditional rhythm game doesn't mean there, there's not rhythm components and you don't need rhythm and so on and so forth. Uh, and so there's a lot of like stuff under the hood to make it, make the rhythm game side of things feel better. Um, that people, because we, again, we don't talk about them in the tutorial. I think people are less aware of and are maybe kind of hidden features. Um, one of them being what I mentioned earlier, the no beat sequences. So those are, those are sequences where we just ignore the, the beat scoring, uh, and let you just kind of shoot freeform, uh, when, when the beat of the music is not clear specifically. Um, and uh, uh, the metronome haptics, another good example. Um, but uh, there's also a rapid fire scoring, uh, which is really interesting. Rapid fire scoring is how we allow people to hit on eighth notes and quarter notes, and and on some occasions even do syncopation uh, with uh, with their firing rates um, by saying, okay, the first time a shot is on beat within a window. Uh, then any subsequent shots are also considered on beat. So you can, you can double tap on a single beat. So it would be like a quarter beat or, a, or an eighth, eighth note. Uh, and that counts as on beat, uh, because it's within the window. Um, uh, has some kind of tricky stuff like that. That's really interesting. Yeah, and people don't. Yeah, that's a great no, answer. No, yeah, yeah. People, people <laughs> yeah. don't really know about that, and and uh, uh, but it's just one example of, of how we how we yeah have built it, the game as a rhythm game from the very beginning, and and try to make these uh, affordances for people. It, you know, it doesn't always work. Again, it's it's all about feel, right? So sometimes, still in the, in the current game, people are like, uh, I kind of felt like that was on beat. Um, but for the most part, I think we've done a really, really good job of saying, okay, if you have this sense of rhythm and, and you try to shoot to a rhythm, then for the most part, you're going you're gonna to be able to play well, the game quite well. Oh, and also, uh, actually, the enemy sequences, to be honest, um, people are like, I don't really get how they are lining up to the beat or whatever. And literally every single enemy sequence in the entire game is 100% built around the beat. Uh, every single enemy sequence has what's called an action point. The action point is the quote unquote, the intended beat, the golden path beat. Um, 
And mm-hmm. so every single enemy uh, either shoots on beat, uh, moves into place on beat, or spawns on beat, with no exception. Uh, so everything in the game is to the rhythm. Uh, even if it's not quite as noticeable. There's even the flashing, to be honest. There's the there's the flashing, uh, the entire world pulsates to the beat. Uh, and some people just don't even notice it. Uh, it's really, really interesting uh, how some of these, these because we don't present the game as a traditional rhythm game, uh, and we don't, like, talk about all this stuff out of the gate, people just don't even notice it, you know? There's there's haptics, there's lighting, there's, there's animations, there's, you know, all this stuff uh, going on. Yeah, like even 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 the enemies like pulsate on the mm-hmm, beat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there there's there's a bunch of clues for for the beat in there that people miss. The beat is all around us. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the main thing I get from that. The music is all around yeah. us. Yeah, yeah. It's some something for me that uh that pe- people miss it less now. But when we released the game, um, uh, we we had players that that were complaining that like they wanted to use use dual wielding and two controllers um and why isn't this in the game and it, it is in the game always has been <laughs> uh always has <laughs> been uh it was just in the hidden in the menu somewhere yeah um so yeah that that, that was one thing it's one of the reasons why we have uh, a ui team now uh to make things easier to find Really famously, uh, there's a Markiplier video. It's our, our the most watched pistol video on YouTube, multiple million views, uh, and uh, and he couldn't find dual wield. Uh, yeah. <laughs> very sad stuff for us. And he was like, "I wish this game had dual wield." We're like, "It does, it does." <laughs> We're like in the comments. You're just yelling at the screen, like, "Stop, Mr. YouTube man! You're spreading misinformation." <laughs> no. Let's take a look at the future of Cloudhead games. We're not talking like super far future, like 2089. We're probably talking more like, you know, 2022, 2023. <laughs> yeah. one, one, of the, one of the big things is you guys have been talking about how you're spinning off this like B team, Cloudhead Labs, I think, to do more experimentation. Yeah, uh, Labs is interesting. Um, Labs is not uh, specifically a games division. Uh, Labs is kind of right now a, a software division, uh, and so they're working on the co-working app um, right now. Um, uh, but beyond that team, uh, there is, of course, the core Cloudhead team, which is not going to be working on Pistol Whip forever. Um, and uh, and I don't know how much Dan wants to talk about this, but but there are some plans for, obviously, our next project, um, beyond Pistol Whip, but but we are going to continue working on Pistol Whip, and we've said that, and, and we've got ideas again. There's more, uh, there's more like concierge stuff we want to do in terms of uh, uh, how we work on styles and how we surface styles and things like that. Uh, obviously, there's endless room for modifiers to add to the game, endless room for scenes to add to the game, uh, and then we've got some special stuff coming up with uh, that we're working on with the community for maybe adding. Uh, more content um, that isn't necessarily from us. That makes me very excited, both as a player and for y'all. Like, that sounds like it'll take a little bit off of your backs in terms of workload. But as we all know, user-generated content, UGC for short, has its own, like, barrel of spiders you got to wade through before you get, like, the good stuff. Yeah. I'd... Don't ask me about that analogy. <laughs> I'm an arachnophobic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, not, nothing hard to announce there, um, but, it, but it's always, like, it's been part of our vision from Pistol Whip from the very beginning. Obviously, it's a kind of a core thing that people think about when they think about rhythm games. Um, they think about op- opening yeah. up that mm-hmm. kind of custom content. 
Um, so it's something we've we've been wanting to enable for a really long time. And when we think about the future of pistol whip, then I think that's a that's a clear direction. Yeah, and as far as the future of Flathead Games goes, uh, we're we're not we're not exclusively a, a pistol whip studio, so we definitely have more stuff coming. That's not pistol whip. I, I mentioned earlier in this talk, uh, you know, we were the first one of the first studios in the entire world to receive the Valve Index. Uh, and that was the same for the Oculus Rift, that was the same for the HTC Vive, uh, that was the same for the Oculus Quest, um, and uh, uh, it does not end there. Okay, so listeners, be on the lookout for the new cutting-edge headsets and cloudhead games to be right on top of it when it hits your store shelves. <laughs> if you were to see the Pistol Whip... I don't know if I want to call it design space or maybe format is better where it's kind of like some sort of like theming or feeling wrapped around this like short burst experience. If you were to take like that kind of core pistol whip and apply it to a different genre, not talking about like Cloudhead deciding this, just like you as developers, like what would you want to miss like mash up with pistol whip? Uh, Rogue light. I, I want to make a. I would love to make a Hades uh, sort of game uh, with the pistol engine. For me, horror. I'd really like to do some some horror. Um, I think that that would be really really fitting. Um, and then uh, uh, just like more action packed stuff, but like but like turning it into an adventure shooter rather than than like an arcade shooter. Uh, you know, taking the action packed style and like making a full fledged game out of that format. My last question to both of you, Anthony and Dan. You as individuals, you as VR developers, you as gamers, however you want to frame it, like what interests you about the future of the VR platform? Yeah, for, for me personally, uh, it, it, it is always in narrative and, and those kinds of interactions. Uh, I'm always interested in new experiences that push NPC um, interactions, uh, new experiences that, that deliver narrative in a new format, uh, uh, I'm always really interested in, in storytelling inside of VR, uh, but, but not just like flat storytelling, like, a, uh, but like immersive 3d environmental storytelling. Uh, you're in a space, you're, you're on an adventure, you're completely immersed in a different world. The kind of stuff that we were doing with the gallery, um, that that's the kind of stuff that, uh, that really compels me about VR. I think VR has tons of applications outside of that. Like I think social is maybe one of the most important applications of VR. Uh, things like maybe what Meta is doing with the metaverse, uh, but you know what Rec Room is already doing with social and VR chat has been you know a huge success as well. I think those kinds of uh, experiences are or experiences are really important. Uh, but for me personally, uh, I, I'm really interested in working on um, uh, kind of narrative and and uh, uh, again like thinking about the way that you can interact with with uh, with the digital world specifically other like characters and humans and aliens and things like that and how you can talk with them and, and touch them and and that kind of thing yeah i i'm i'm kind of on the same wavelength as anthony there like i i uh i love getting lost in in an experience and uh having that narrative focused um um game where, where you can just get lost in, in this other world is 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 it, it excites me so that's, that, that, that's kind of where, where I, I'd want to keep going and, and, uh, and experience. Thank you, Anthony and Dan, so much for joining us for this very special episode of Head Mounted Destinations. This has been a very enjoyable like experience. It's been very cool talking with you both. And I 
my I guess my last question to you is just like, do you have anything you'd like to plug if it's your own social media or like the project you work on, your studio, anything, you know, get it out there. Whoever listens to this show will be able to know what you're doing and they'll be able to click on it and see it. And I'm sure that'll feel cool to somebody. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you're interested in small teams doing cool stuff, uh, you know, I definitely recommend checking out the gallery. It's getting a little, little, uh, little old there, but, uh, I think way ahead of its time in a really similar way that Alex was. Honestly, there's a lot of kind of gallery lineage inside of Alex. So if you're interested in those kinds of experiences, try those out. Uh, Hand Lab is also free. Uh, I had a great time working on that. That's set in the portal universe. Very, very cool stuff. Uh, and then, uh, even if you're a fan of Pistol Whip or not, join our Discord. Uh, you can talk with us, chat with us, hang out with us. Discord, uh, wait, pistolwhip.gg. Uh, that is Pistol Whip the game. Uh, pistolwhip.gg, gg, as in the two letters, <laughs> gg. Good luck. <laughs> Dan, how about you? You got anything you'd like to send out to the world? Oh, Anthony pretty much covered it there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, and with that, roll the show out. If you like this episode of Head Mounted Destinations, please share it with your friends. Word of mouth helps us out. You know, getting more ears on our show is going to help us make more things and give you cooler content. To get notified about new episodes, go to headmountedpodcast.com and sign up for our email list. You can listen to the show on YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to discuss this episode or suggest future topics, visit our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash headmountedpodcast. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you at the next Head Mounted Destination.